I, I think any artist who is genuinely building and you know creating and improving upon themselves, whether it's their art, whether it's their knowledge base, whether it's their skill sets, no matter what it is, as long as they're seriously, you know, looking into constructive feedback and, and improving upon whatever it is they want to be, you know, they want to get better at. I think as long as they can survive this market, when things turn around for the better, I think it'll become very clear who actually was doing the building and who was just saying they were. Welcome to the NFT Now podcast, your go-to source to succeed in the fast-moving world of Web3. I'm Matt Medved. Each week, we interview visionary creators, builders, and collectors, so you can stay up to date on the most important trends and tactics for the internet's next frontier. Welcome back to the NFT Now podcast. I'm Matt Medved, and today's guest is Grant Yoon, a true renaissance man of Web3, who has emerged as one of the top-selling artists in the NFT space while balancing medical school and breakdancing. His distinctive work has sold at top auction houses like Christie's and Sotheby's, and I'm excited to find out just how he manages to wear so many hats at once. Before we jump in, I want to encourage you to sign up for our weekly newsletter, at nftnow.com slash newsletter. Each week, we distill everything happening in the space into actionable insights straight to your inbox, free of charge. Without any further ado, Grant Yoon. Grant Yoon on the NFT Now podcast. So glad that we could make this happen, man. How's it going? Dude, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. I know it's been a long time in the works, but uh, there's a lot to, to dive into. You've been super active and it's been a, a pretty, pretty interesting year to say the least, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's been, it's been exciting on my end, but you know, it's also just been exciting just seeing everything that's been going down on, you know, NFT Twitter and, and all that. Never a dull day in Web3. Uh, <laughs> well, man, you have a really interesting backstory. I think we should uh, just start, start from the top. Tell us a bit about, you know, juggling med school and uh, breakdancing and everything that, that all the different pursuits that, that, that you do and still also making your way into NFTs and, and having a real breakthrough in, uh, in crypto art. Yeah. Yeah. This might be a little bit of a long segment, but I'll, I'll try to keep it short. So, you know, I've, I've been an artist my whole life and, you know, long story short, when I went to college, I wanted to start doing digital illustrations. I picked that up kind of self-taught from the ground up. Um, some people know that story of, you know, I started illustrating on PowerPoint basically because I had no other tools. I didn't know of any other tools. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I taught myself a lot, um, about artists and I, and I kind of knew the type of art I wanted to convey. And maybe at the time, I just didn't have the skills or the tools to be able to create the things that I wanted to. But the vision of, has always been there. And then, you know, over the years, I've just been slowly grinding away at, you know, improving my style and finding a unique voice for myself as an artist. When we begin as artists, it's sometimes difficult to create a style of your own that's unique to yourself. Um, so it took me, you know, several years and, and a lot of trial and error to get there. Um, but eventually I got to a point where I was very happy and confident with the style that I create. Um, and then uh, towards the end of um, 2020, I started hearing about people, about these things called um, like metaverse lands, like on the central land. And I've always been like a pretty big like proponent of um, crypto just in general. I, I always believed in Bitcoin and, and, you know, just like decentralized currencies. And so I just looked into it and, and, you know, there was this application to super rare. And so I didn't know what a MetaMask was. I didn't really know, you know, that side of Twitter. I didn't know any of that. Um, but I just, you know, thought I, I'll put myself out there. That's always what I've been about. And I applied for super rare, completely forgot about it. And then in February, 2021, I got onboarded and I got accepted and that's when I minted my first NFT. And so the journey to getting to from there um, to where I am today, and even like from the very beginning when I started digital illustrations, it's always been about just pushing the boundaries and, and you know, pushing the limits of what I think I, I can possibly do with my life. I started applying to medical school. Well, even before medical school, you know, I, I applied to college, you know, from high school and I have all these 
you know, hobbies in high school and people tell me, you know, you can't do these things in high school uh, once you go to college. And then, you know, college comes around and you realize, you know, you're better at time management and, and you have these passions that you're really focused on. And then, you know, you spend a couple of years, you know, doing all these activities you need to do, like volunteering and doing work and research and, and doing all these board exams to go to medical school. And then once you get into medical school, people say, you know, you can't do, you know, you can't exercise, you can't eat healthy, you know, you can't do all these other hobbies you got because you're going to be, you know, so focused on studying. And then you get to medical school and you realize like, you know, you have the ability to improve your time management and focus in on the things that you really enjoy. And so I've never let go of the things that I think is are imperative to just living a happy life for myself, which is being an artist and, you know, trying to be as healthy as possible. Um, you know, of course, that includes like exercise, eating right, sleep hygiene, all of that stuff and, and, and mental health as well. And so, you know, it's, it's always just been about like pushing the limits of what I know, whether it's time management or whether it's, you know, I find something very difficult to understand in medical school or something very difficult to illustrate or find very difficult conversations on Twitter or Web3, um, whatever it is, you know, it's, it's always just about trying to, you know, push the boundaries, basically. Yeah, I, I love that. And there's a lot to dig into there. Um, you know, I, I think I'd love to hear a little bit about um, that moment where you felt like you really kind of broke through uh, in terms of, of the art that you were putting out and, and uh, the NFTs that you were selling, you know, I, I, like, take us back to that moment. Yeah. Um, so when I first got onto Super Rare, this is February 2021, um, I didn't know what a MetaMask was the day I got onboarded, right? I didn't know people used Twitter. They told me I had to have, a, they didn't tell me I had to have a Twitter, but they asked me what my Twitter was. So I just assumed like, oh, it's probably something that I should have. Created a Twitter, had zero Twitter followers, right? So at the very beginning, I had almost nothing, like no followers, um, no one knew me, right? I was just this random digital artist trying to come up. And for the first few months were pretty sporadic, um, there were just kind of different styles, different things that I've illustrated over the years, um, you know, and I was selling them for anywhere between 0.5 to like one ETH um, pretty slowly. And I just was like, oh, okay, cool. Maybe like, you know, oh yeah, I have this in my back pocket I could create. So, or, or that I've created in the past couple of years, maybe I'll just mint this, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so, you know, when you go back to kind of my older mints, it's a lot of like styles that don't seem very cohesive. And then there's been a couple moments throughout the journey where I've really like honed in on what exactly it is I want to do as an artist in this space. And one of those moments was when someone reached out to me from Super Rare um, and he said that uh, or, or they said that there's a lot of people who are looking into my work, but since I have a lot of these different styles, they just don't know what they're going to get next time I mint something. And so um, he wasn't telling me I need to do anything, but he was like, oh, this is something that I've heard in the streets. Um, and so I, the moment he said that, I knew exactly that I had to hone in on one particular style. And that was a style that I felt most connected to. Um, which is, you know, the style that most people know me for today and the style that I really spent, you know, several years trying to craft and, and perfect and, you know, find my own unique voice in. And so that was one thing. Um, and ever since then, it's always been that style and that style only. You know, even then, the the mints were slowly coming in and selling slowly. And there were a few months in June, July, August, where I basically had no sales. And then one day I woke up um, and a few collectors had purchased um, my one of ones, like they, they just swept my one of ones um, completely. And one of them was Tappy. And I haven't talked to him um, in a little bit, but I used to talk to him quite often. Um, he's a crypto punk on Twitter. Um, and he was telling me that, you know, he really enjoyed the vision um, that I had for my art. And I think from that moment on, um, I realized that it was really important to engage with people on Twitter because this was the first big collector that I was talking to. Um, and I was looking at how he was interacting with, you know, artists and collectors and, and enthusiasts on Twitter. And, you know, I asked him a lot of 
tips, right? Like I, I didn't know anything about Twitter. So I was just like, hey, what what's the best way to get engagement? What are some things that can do as an artist? What are th- some things that you do as a collector um, that gets traction? And so I think through all of that, um, it's just been like asking questions about what to do and what I'm doing wrong, um, learning from people's critiques. Um, and so there's no real like one moment but there's been several things along, you know, kind of the journey. And then I'd say towards the end of 2021, um, that's when Starry Night came in with with Vincent um, mm-hmm. and he put an all-time high in for me. That was, I think, like almost 2x whatever I had prior. Um, and so it's just all these like little victories, I would say, that um, I've had that kind of have amounted to what I, you know, what I have today. Yeah, no, it, ma- it makes total sense. It's been amazing to watch the watch the journey. Um, I'm curious, you know, like, you know, you do have a, a quite a distinctive style. And I, and I know that you've cited some influences like Grant Wood and Ed Ruska. Like, who are, how would you describe your style? Where do you draw, draw that inspiration from? So I think I've talked quite extensively just about the artists that inspire me. And you've mentioned a couple. Um, of course, you know, I, I also have some other artists, like a lot of 1900s painters. And more recently, actually, the Impressionists have been inspiring me as well. Um, but besides kind of the artists that inspire me, um, which, you know, you can look up in other articles I've talked about, um, but things I just don't talk about too often is um, really just following my vision. And that seems so cliche and so ambiguous. But what I mean by that is when I start an illustration, unless it's a commission, right, where the person hiring me wants a specific illustration, if it's something for myself, I just start with a concept, um, a very ambiguous concept, and, and I just go at it. And then um, the, it has no end goal to it. There's nothing I want to put in it. Um, the only thing that I want to make sure is that it's subtle enough that people can relate to it um, from their own personal lives. Um, so, you know, I that's that's about it. And And when I illustrate, it's just are the vibes right? And if the vibes are not right, then I need to go back at it or, or stop it. I found this sweet spot at this point where I'm able to create illustrations that are illustrations that I want to showcase, but at the same time are ambiguous enough, like I mentioned, where other people can look at it and think, oh, this is you know something from my life or something from my past um, or where I live or a particular memory that I've had that I can relate to. And um, that's really like what my art is about. It's really about just connecting emotionally with just other people. Yeah, absolutely. A, a moment that stands out, I think, in, in your career, you know, and I think back upon that as I started to like, you know, gain uh, familiarity, understanding of your work was the release of Cow and the, and the CCO element of it, um, which I think kind of had a, a really interesting resonance around the space and obviously kind of created a little bit of like a meme meta, um, which is, you know, which as a creator, you know, is I, I think it's exciting to see because it means like your your work is is touching people and they're kind of putting their own take on it. I'd love to hear like what what that was like through your own eyes as well. So I, I work in a lot of different series, right? Um, and the one se- the first series I ever created was called Midwest, mm-hmm. um, which was kind of my depiction of the Midwest, basically uh, here in Wisconsin when I first moved, since I'm originally from San Jose, California. And Cal was one of the last mints that I had from that series. And the reason I didn't mint it for so long was because I was scared of what people would think about it. I mean, it is quite literally just one solid color and then like a cow on it, right? And so I I just wasn't sure if people would appreciate um, that illustration. But then one day, you know, I was talking to Defiance and he, uh, he really wanted the piece. And so we organized a deal and and he bought it for i can't remember exactly how much it went for but it, you know it went for five figures on super rare and i think the the meme component of that is you know it's i i personally like the illustration i think it is a good illustration but also it's just funny to think like this solid color of green with a cow on it went for this amount of money. And, and some people might think that that's kind of absurd. Um, other people might, you know, like the illustration. And most people probably think of it, you know, somewhere in between, right? A, kind of a mixed picture. It was one of the highlights of, you know, my NFT experience so far because just so many artists that inspire me in, you know, crypto Twitter 
you know, created their own rendition of it. I I think I immediately made it CC0 because, you know, I, I didn't want to, you know, gate it to, to anyone or anything. Like most of my art really is just to reach as many people as possible. And if people are creating kind of their own interpretations of it in a funny and ironic or in a serious manner, whatever the reason, you know, whatever the reason is, you know, I think people sharing that art um, and sharing their own interpretation of that art is really important um, and really just like was a, a fun, exciting time for me, really. Yeah. Well, one thing that, that uh, you know, I've always noted in, in your kind of the, the your career arc for you is you have you have a great collector base. You know, you mentioned a few of them like Tappy, Vincent Van Doe, um, and, and many, and many more. Um, and that that doesn't happen necessarily overnight. It doesn't necessarily happen. Uh, it, it could be a, an area that that um, a lot of artists in the space are 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 always looking to make inroads in or better understand and the like. I'm, I'm curious, like, what factors do you think played into building that collector base? And also, like, like you mentioned, the exchange with Tappy kind of opened your eyes to this connection that can exist between artists and collectors in the Web3 space and the NFT space that doesn't necessarily exist in the traditional art space. So curious to hear your thoughts there, too. Yeah, I think building a strong collector base is, it's a difficult task. Um, I think some artists have it easier than others. Um, like for example, Tyler Hobbs, obviously, and, and Dimitri. If the art is exceptional to the point where there is no doubt that that is gonna be something valuable in the future, um, or maybe even valuable at that time, um, I think it's very easy to build a collector base. Um, and it's not up to me to decide who has good art and who doesn't. Um, if anything, it's kind of the market that dictates that. But as you can tell, you know, some of the art blocks projects that are really high up there, um, have a very strong collector base for good reason. Um, for myself in particular, part of the reason I have a strong collector base is because a lot of the collectors that collect my art actually enjoy looking at the pieces that they own from me. This particular illustration reminds them of you know where they grew up or where they were born or you know where they met their partner or where they had their first kid or whether where they went to school, where they work now, you know. And so there's a, there's a very deep emotional connection to a lot of these collectors, I think, with the illustrations that I have. Um, and then another thing is just like me being so active on Twitter. Um, I've learned that on Twitter, it's important to just bite your tongue sometimes if you're heavily opinionated on something. Um, typically, those things that you're highly opinionated on kind of work themselves out anyways, and you don't need to be caught up in the fire um, while it's going on. Um, and so it's being kind of self-aware of your own art style, but also being self-aware of your internet presence on Twitter. For myself in particular, I remember, like, for example, when I first met Vincent Van Doe on the internet, on Twitter, I think it was um, because I created this random Pepe. And, and this was like, before I knew what fake rares were, this is what, this is before I knew, like, I knew like of, you know, like the Nakamoto card and stuff, but I didn't know the Pepe community was so strong. Um, and this was 2021. And I created just this like random Pepe illustration. Um, and then VVD, I think, commented on it and then followed me that day um, after he saw that. Um, and then after that, like another collector reached out to me and said, hey, I can onboard you to these things called fake rares. And then, you know, that kind of opened the doors to another collector base where I met a lot of collectors through fake rares and a lot of artists through fake rares. And I've helped onboard a lot of artists as well onto that platform. Um, and so one door opens another, as long as you're receptive and you're willing to just, you know, hear people out and kind of be self-aware um, and also aware of the status quo and, you know, the memes that are going on on Twitter, the kind of macro and micro things that are happening in the world. Um, I think, you know, the more educated you are um, and the more you're able to create your own personal opinions about things, I think really has people look at you as someone who, um, I don't know, just, just as someone who is, you know, like able to create like opinions for themselves and, and has, you know, kind of like a strong trajectory of where their art want, you know, where, where their vision for their art is, is going. 
Yeah, no, I, I think I think you're right. And if there's, if there's anything we've seen over the past couple of months, it's the power of memes. Um, I, I'm curious, you know, let, like thinking about that, it seems like you've you've been really uh, like in touch with with you know internet culture and also like the memes that kind of drive the space as well. As you mentioned, you know, contributing to fake rares. Um, you also contributed a card to the memes by six five two nine, the sees the memes of production. I'm curious, like as an artist and a creator in the space who's creating uh, in you know the this kind of like marketplace in this climate that does feature, for example, a lot of, um, you know, pseudonymous collectors um, that does is driven a lot by mimetic expression. Like, how do you think about the power of memes as an artist? Memes are probably one of the most powerful tools um, for an artist because there's just so much culture so fast behind memes, but it's almost a double-edged sword where some memes just don't stand at stand the test of time. Actually, most memes probably don't stand the test of time. Um, and so it really comes down to understanding if the meme that you're helping is going to be culturally relevant in the future. And, you know, maybe Pepe's aren't going to be very important 10, 20, 30 years from now. Um, but I think they've made a significant impact on internet culture, even before, you know, crypto I think there is merit to contributing to that community because that community is so robust um, and there's just such a rich historical like lore behind Pepe's since the beginning, since the creation of the character. I think that is like a meme that I can get behind. But, you know, there's a lot of memes out there um, that I don't necessarily take part in. Um, and you don't see me actively taking part in because as funny as they might be and, 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 you know, as hyped up as they might be for the time, you know, who knows if they'll be relevant in, in a week or, or in a month, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that uh, is obviously characteristic of, of the NFT space and crypto space in general is obviously the volatility, right? Like there's you know, the bulls and the bears, the, the market cycles. I, I think for many artists in the NFT space, this is, you know, like this kind of a bear market is is a is a more of a new experience for for many of them. Like I'm curious, like from your own experience, like having having you know experienced the, the the euphoria and the rise of and the excitement of the bull, and now being in in this bear market, like what has that been like to navigate as an artist? And what have been kind of the challenges or or the or the opportunities there? I mean, I, I know that it's also like in part of me like being kind of aware of the. Th situation that we're in as a space but you know there's also luck mixed in for sure you know i haven't been hit as hard i think i'm doing fairly well in the space um all things considered but you know the space is difficult right now and i think just a lot of artists who can build and i know we talk about building like it's almost a meme at this point like you just say you're building and then like <laughs> i don't i don't even know what it means at some point you know but like I think any artist who is genuinely building and, you know, creating and improving upon themselves, whether it's their art, whether it's their knowledge base, whether it's their skill set, no matter what it is, as long as they're seriously, you know, looking into constructive feedback and, and improving upon whatever it is they want to be, you know, they want to get better at, I think as long as they can survive this market, when things turn around for the better, I think it'll become very clear who actually was doing the building and who was just saying they were um, and weren't doing anything. And I also think that those who are here in the space now and who haven't left despite maybe they haven't had a sale, maybe despite the fact that their bags are kind of you know, significantly down from what they were last year, I think those people will probably be more rewarded because not only, you know, of, you know, the bags that they're holding or the art that they're putting out, but because of the knowledge base that they've acquired during this market. Um, and the things that, you know, maybe other people are going to miss out on that are going on right now. I think there's some unique things and, and exciting things that are happening you know, in 2023, despite the condition of the market, people who aren't here are just going to miss out. And, and that's, that's about it. Yeah, yeah. 
Well, look, you know, I, I know we touched on this, you know, but I, I'd love to dive in a little bit on like the time management because, you know, uh, first off, I come from a medical family. My dad's a neurologist. My mom is a nurse and genetic counselor. Grandfather's a cardiologist. So I know how intensive medical school can be. I know that that is no small feat, right? And, um, you know, I actually, when I was in law school, um, that was when all of my things around music, DJing and writing about music started taking off. So I can also empathize with the feeling of like, I have this new and exciting thing that's happening that needs my attention. But I'm also like, recognize that I've invested a lot of time and, and energy in, you know, this very rigorous academic uh, area and, and feeling split between the two. So I'm curious, like, how do you manage that? And, and what are some tips or, or, or some practices that you use for time management to ensure that you have time to, to give your artist career the uh, attention it deserves while also kind of seeing through um, the commitment you've made to medical school. Yeah. Um, and if I can remember, I will try to get like loop this conversation back into your previous question, because I do think it is pertinent. From what I've talked about before, I think there's things that you can sacrifice or give up and there's things that you can't. Um, so for example, I can give up video gaming. Um, I, I enjoy playing video games, but that is more so a hobby than, you know, being an artist, right? And so it's very difficult for me to give up being an artist. It's almost, you know, I, I wouldn't say it's impossible, but it, it is up there in the priority list of things that I want to do with my life. Um, so I think setting a very clear set of these are absolute musts and these are things I, I cannot um, give up no matter how busy I am or, or the things that I do, right? I mean, like, even like going for a run, like those are things that I, I, I don't think I could give up because a run takes like, you know, anywhere from like 30 minutes to an hour, two hours for me. And I can listen to podcasts. I can listen to, you know, online lectures. That's actually what I did for basically the first three years of medical school was, you know, I would just go to the gym. I would listen to my lectures for two hours at the gym. And it almost felt like I didn't waste a single minute because, you know, I was just listening to lectures while I was at the gym. So I think a couple of things that I've learned over the years, just being in medical school, um, and I'm actually towards the end of medical school now. So I've been through like literally the hardest parts of medical school while I was doing all this um, NFT stuff. So, I, you know, I, I do know of kind of the rigorous um, demands that medical school has and how to juggle all of that. I would say the first thing is like being good at multitasking. I know people say it's impossible to multitask, but I think the thing is like, Again, it's like about understanding your priorities. You can't obviously multitask everything, right? You can multitask things that actually probably aren't as important, right? So for example, if I've already watched a lecture and then I want to rewatch it to see, you know, the things that I missed, maybe, you know, I don't need to stay as focused as when I watched that lecture for the first time. So I'll rewatch that lecture while I'm on the treadmill or while I'm going for a run, right? And when I'm running, it's difficult to run or work out without music, but it is possible. And and I do my best to like tell myself, you know, if I can mash these two things where I'm studying partially and working out, then, you know, I'll make time to do something else, you know, in, during that day, which could be art or, or something else, right? Spending time with, you know, my partner, et cetera, et cetera. The other thing that people don't realize, I think, and they probably don't realize it just because like, it's difficult to conceptualize this unless you're actually the person like actually the artist or, or whatever, like actually myself is um, art and medicine work on very different timelines. So what I mean by that is, like, take, for example, you want to curate a show for a gallery or a museum. I mean, this can take months, and very commonly can take years to plan out, right? If you want to complete a painting, I mean, artists can take anywhere between a day to a decade to complete a painting or even longer, right? So, you know, the the timeline for being an artist is significantly stretched out compared to being a doctor. I think a doctor is, you know, you have to go room to room and you have to see a patient in 15 minutes and then you go into the next room and you see the patient, you know, or you go into a surgery you know, you hop out that surgery, you go into the next operating room, go to the next surgery, right? Whereas there's not this sense of immediacy in art. Actually, like when I'm working on projects, you know, I can plan a project for a year in advance, right? Like some of the things that I'm dropping this year, you know, have been in the works for a year, right? And so I allow myself that time and I'm given that time. And it's almost imperative that I do have that time to like, you know, kind of like 
work on my own art, you know, work on the marketing, work on the drops with the company or the entity that I'm dropping with, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so these things are stretched out over a long time horizon versus the things in medicine, which is like you have to get these things done now. And so there's actually not too much conflict when it comes down to doing art and doing medicine. I think a lot of people ask me like how I have time to do both things. But in reality, um, if I can just allot myself a little bit of time um, like every day or a little bit of time every week, I can actually get most of the stuff done for art while I'm doing stuff in medical school, while I'm doing stuff at the hospital. And the last thing I'd have to say is like, I developed my style of art like long before medical school, right? And so I kind of knew what I was doing. And at the same time, while I wasn't on Twitter necessarily, like I had a lot of experience like on Instagram, like promoting things and, and you know, like, like I had like that foundation of like knowing how to interact and knowing what memes are and all of that. And so just like coming into NFT Twitter, I didn't necessarily have to learn all of that from the ground up. So when I started medical school, there was no conflicts in, you know, oh, I need to spend all this time developing my art style. I mean, I, I had already like created art that I wanted to create and showcase. And so this kind of goes back to talking about like the bull and bear market. I mean, during the bear market, I mean, you can take that time to really like develop the things that you want to work on when things are slow. And so when the time comes and things pick up and, you know, you have 10,000 things on your to-do list, at least you like improved or, or you completed the things that you wanted to um, during the bear market. So, you know, you have more time to do other things. Were there any points where you considered like quitting, dropping out, just being like, yo, like there's, I, I need to focus on the art. Like I, I feel frustrated. I, you know, I, I, I like, I, I know that the road can be bumpy when it comes to, you know, uh, navigating something like this. Um, I wouldn't say so, actually. I, I think uh, there's never been a time where I felt like I have to push myself into a corner and, and, and where I'm put in a corner and I have to pick between one or the other. Right. I think medical school, once you start your clinical years and you actually start working the hospital, there's more responsibility because you're obviously like seeing patients and, and you actually have to do things, but you can actually work your schedule around a lot of things. And so like last month I had a, a vacation month basically. And so, you know, I'm studying for a board exam. So there, you know, most days, you know, like six, seven hours I'm studying, like doing practice questions, but I still have time to like make it out to Manhattan, do these things, you know, go to that Christie's auction where my art was featured, um, go spend time with my fiance um, and, and go to all these museums and, and do art things and do medical things. Um, just because like there's a little bit of flex, there's a little bit more flexibility than than people think there is. Sure. Sure. You know, uh, I think we, we touched on this a little earlier, too, but I'd love to dive into mental health as well, because, um, you know, there are obviously a lot of stresses and pressures of being an artist in, uh, you know, a, a space as volatile and fast moving as as NFTs and, and Web3. There's obviously the stresses and pressures of, of being a, in medical school and, you know, compounding all of these things together. Um, I'm just curious, like, how do you stay grounded and, um, you know, amidst like all of these different things that, that uh, you know, occupy your attention and and uh, can also be a, a bit of an emotional ride. The one thing that grounds me more than anything besides like my family and, you know, besides, you know, the very important people in my life, the one thing that grounds me the most actually is listening to music. I'm like a very big music person. Um, I do my best to like explore as many genres as possible. I think I, I was thinking about this yesterday, actually, funny enough, I was like, so sad that I might not have enough years in my life to explore all the music that I would like to, to the point where like, I'm very comfortable with, you know, all these, you know, musicians and genres and et cetera, et cetera. But like, if I'm creating a particular illustration, um, then like, I'll have some songs that I listen to. And sometimes like, you know, when I'm illustrating something that reminds me of like, for example, like, my drive home from work or something, then I'll be listening to just the stuff that I listen to, you know, when I'm driving home from work, you know, and, and that kind of puts me in the mood to convey exactly what it is I want to show. Because like, in, in that example, like if I'm driving home from work, and I see a sunset, and it's like, I don't know, like rows of trees or something, then, you know, whatever, like I would probably listen to during that drive home, I'd like to play that while I'm illustrating to really like fully immerse myself into, you know, whatever it is, right? For example, I am going to take probably the biggest board exam of my life in like next week or in a week and a half. 
good luck. <laughs> Thanks, man. Um, I, like before every exam, like I will like listen to music, um, whatever like I'm feeling for that morning, like I will do my best. Um, before I like went into like surgeries in the operating room, if it was something that where I was like, oh, this is going to be like really complex or something where I would have to be in there for a long time. I'll try to listen to something that, you know, would ease my mind, like all these different things. Um, I think what grounds me the most actually is listening to music. I love that. Uh, you know, obviously I, I was in music and media before really coming into Web3 and NFTs. I, I'd love to hear a bit about like, what, what, what are you listening to? Like, what, what, what do you listen to when, you, uh, when, you're, when you're doing your creative process? Like, what, what's the music that you're listening to now? I, I'd love to get a sense of your taste. I don't even know if this is a real term, but I, sometimes I tell my fiance that I'm a sample junkie. Like, <laughs> I love listening to like the music that like essentially like birthed hip hop, right? Mm -hmm. Like, I mean, like the birth of hip hop, you know, Bronx, uh, you know, coming from basically like sampling old funk, old soul, old jazz music, right? And and kind of mashing them together um, and overlaying beats on top of it. But I really enjoy like the like Roy Ayers, um, you know, Cool and the Gang, all of the jazz, soul, funk, blues music from that era, I, I think like I have whole, like I have like so many playlists of like different vibes that, you know, and different emotions that I feel that like, I think the music would fit too. There it is. I, I love that. I love that. Um, so when, when we think about like, you know, your, your artist career, like obviously some, some big milestones, you know, the, the major auction sales, the Sotheby's, the Christie's, all that. What do you like consider to be on like your bucket list? Like, what do you, what are some things you want to, you want to achieve um, in the future? I think, next thing that I'm looking towards is probably a show. Either a solo or a group exhibition probably would be something that I'm looking forward to. I'm working on a body of work right now that um, I would like to showcase at some point, hopefully within the next year. I guess we'll just have to see how it pans out. But it's been really difficult to kind of grasp my head around like what it means to be an artist in the NFT space and the overarching art space. Because we're like a self-sufficient, sustainable community here, right? I mean, no Christie's, no Sotheby's, no galleries. Like we can, we have been, you know, kind of self-sufficient. Like the NFTs that are being purchased for the most part are from crypto native, you know, sources, right? Like most of the people buying NFTs have been in, you know, crypto and, and Web3 um, and they're selling to people who are in crypto and Web3. And so... You know, we're slowly branching out to different sectors and, and different, you know, areas of the world um, and trying to onboard as many people as possible while we're doing that. But finding an identity as an artist has been more challenging than I thought it would be. Um, and I, I say that because it's easier to find an identity on the internet as an internet persona creating NFTs. But now that I'm doing my best to try to break out into a different space. It's, you know, it's essentially starting from the ground up. I mean, sure, my art might have a higher price tag, but that doesn't really mean very much, personally speaking, um, compared to gaining those experiences working with galleries or working with museums and working with a different side of art that a lot of us just haven't seen um, and haven't gone through. And so I think it's, it's going to be challenging, but also really exciting. And so my next big goal really is just to try to grow a career in art uh, from the ground up, basically. That's about it. Yeah. Yeah. You know, one thing that's interesting too is I know you, you've tried a number of different formats. You know, you were pretty early to try out open editions. You, um, you've done obviously the one of ones, you've done some, some interesting collaborations with other artists. Like how do you kind of think about, you know, where you are in, in your stage of your career and like the dynamics between like supply size and demand and things like that in a in in this sort of like market context where you're also kind of bridging the gap between um the nft space and now the the uh the traditional art world as well i think maybe in 30 40 years 50 years if nfts are still a thing if crypto is still a thing should i say um i think it'll be a lot easier to see the bigger picture then um, but I think for the immediate future, it's going to be difficult to see how the NFT, how NFTs resonate with collectors and artists and uh, museums and galleries from the traditional art world. 
I think we're getting there, but a lot of the times I feel like um, it's still a very small subset of people who are getting this concept of NFTs. And it's going to be strange to see how we balance supply and demand in relation to like, does a traditional art market care about NFTs or not at the moment, right? I mean, they, I, I, I'm pretty confident that they will care in 40, 50 years, right? I think they, I think there won't be like a, a differentiation between NFTs and, and traditional art and digital art. It's like, it's just all going to be art and, and people are going to be like, not think twice about purchasing an NFT at that moment. But I think, you know, while, you know, kind of we're seeing generational shifts in, in, you know, just like, you know, the baby, the baby boomers are getting, you know, kind of older and, and, you know, the millennials are getting older and, you know, kind of adoption of emerging technologies is changing. I think all of this at the moment is kind of like a gray area for NFTs and adoption and, and kind of understanding of what it means to own a digital asset. Um, and so when I think about supply and demand, I think like in terms of NFTs, um, I've done a lot. Um, to say the least, right? Uh, but I think it's important to just kind of like learn from others. And I hate to say it like this because it's like almost me saying like I'm watching other people fail and maybe not fail, but right, I'm watching other people and, and learning from them, right? So someone makes a mistake and uh, does something that, you know, might not be seen in the best light in the in the Web3 space, then I know not to do that. Or someone does something really good and, and it's like, oh, okay, this is like, this actually like really paid off for itself and, and this like marked a, a high point for this artist's career, then that's probably something that I would like to do. Um, and so it's really just le like learning about, learning from other artists and learning from collectors um, and just like gauging opinions and kind of online sentiment. Great points. Um, and it'll, it will be really interesting to see how this all evolves, you know, and, and the timeline there with the traditional art world um, and, uh, yeah, look, uh, one thing I'd, I'd, I'd uh, I'm also curious too, man, is like, how are, how are you thinking about life after med school? Like, are, are you thinking to continue the, the, to, to kind of like juggle the two worlds and, and, and continue on the career path to being a doctor while also doing art or, you know, how are you thinking about that? I, I think my like vision in life is like, I'm going to max out on everything until like, I can't, I can't. Right. So like I'm at, I'm like going for a run, like I will go until like my knees or my ankles give in and, I, and then I'll stop because like it's probably going to damage my body or like, um, you know, whatever it is, it's like 110%. So if there, unless there is a very specific reason for why I can't do both art and medicine, then like there's no reason to stop doing both, right? And so, I mean, obviously there's going to be favorable situations. For example, the way the residency system is set up in America, um, basically you apply to residency as a medical student, you get the interviews, right? Some residency programs will want to interview medical students. And then you start ranking kind of the, the interviews that you did. And so like, it's like, oh, I want to go to this school, this school, this school, this school, in kind of a first, second, third, fourth, et cetera, order. And then the residencies will match their interviewees right? This is a person I want. And then this person and this person, and then on match day, which is sometime in March, some algorithm like puts together everyone's matches and then it will match the applicant to the residency program. So you basically kind of have a choice, but you also don't have a choice, but I would prefer to go to kind of a large, um, art kind of hub, right? So whether that's on the East coast or the West coast, um, I'd like to go somewhere where, there's a very rich kind of art scene. Um, I think there's a lot to explore between art and medicine as well. And the more I develop my career as an artist, I think I'll have a much more legitimate voice in art, whether that's like quite literally like hospital-based art curation or art therapy or, or any of that. Um, and then of course, on the flip side, I think um, being an art, uh, sorry, being a doctor, you know, like, forces you to think like in situations that are so critical to the point where it could dictate someone's life um, or someone's death. Right. And so having like critical thinking abilities and being an academic for like basically forever, um, I think opens myself up to just learning about things and, and being open to things in art that I might not be open to if I wasn't so invested in academia.
Yeah, I, I love that, and I love I love your, your thoughts on uh, art therapy and and, bring, and bridging those two worlds together. Um, that's really cool, man. Um, well, look, great conversation. We've got one more segment, our, our rapid fire one, bullish or bearish. Let's start uh, bullish or bearish open editions. Bearish. Why is that? So this is a very nuanced question. I, I it's almost like a loaded <laughs> question. Um, so I think open edition versus not open edition. So open editions, I think, work very well for artists who are just still coming up and who haven't reached kind of a, a higher tier of artists. I don't want to say higher tier because that suggests that there's like lower tier artists. But what I mean is like artists career who don't development. have- Yeah. Yeah, career development. Yeah, artists mm-hmm. that don't have a higher price point, right? Mm-hmm. Because I think when you do an open edition, while you're still like kind of like still ma- able to make one of one sales, they might not be kind of double digits yet. And in, or, or they could be like low double digit ETH sales, right? Um, I think that like when you do an open edition kind of around that area, um, it really kind of is the sweet spot because it allows you to explore your collector base and gives you a good gauge of who is interested in your art, right? And if you do it before where, you know, your art is not selling as well, um, or maybe the prices that you're getting aren't as high as you would like for your one-of-ones, I think it's much more important to just like put as much one-of-ones out there, right? I think it's important to grow that collector base with people who own very unique pieces from you just because like, at that point, then you can build a, a pretty big repertoire of things that you want to showcase um, and show share your image, uh, share your vision. I think a lot of the times um, when I look at artists who, especially like artists' portfolios from artists who reach out to me and ask me questions, I think a lot of the times I prefer, like especially from like a collector perspective, I like to see artists with a lot of art, even if it's like a lot of one-of-ones that sold for very low prices. I think... When I see more art, it like gives me a better understanding of where your vision is and, and what you're trying to convey with your artwork. So maybe an open edition when you're just starting out is probably not the best idea. Um, and then, of course, at the upper end of artists or, or I guess artists who are selling for very high price points. I mean, at that point, I think it is cool to do an open edition, but then you have to juggle kind of the negative sentiment between behind, you know, everything that comes with dropping like 10,000 editions and you know that's just everyone kind of understands the pros and cons of that so bullish or bearish ai art bullish so when i think about ai art right now it's almost like thinking about how people look at nfts in the public eye right it's it's like nfts are not art nfts are a scam nfts like this and that it's too easy to make money off of nfts nfts are a scam right i think i hear a lot of conversations about that about ai art it's like you just put this in a you know, in Midjourney or in Dolly, and, and, and you came out with a trillion images, uh, like you're not an artist. I think those things will just kind of like smoothen themselves out. I think that's just a very reactionary thing to emerging technologies. So that's not a big deal in my mind. I think really like AI art creates so much, so much art so fast that if you're able to curate from a very, very, very wide range of art, and you can properly curate from that, then you can create probably some of the most compelling projects. You know, just like personally speaking, I think like people who are able to take a very wide array of outputs and then like curate them into a series have some of the most like compelling series on OpenSea that I see. You know, I think I can't remember her name, but she recently dropped with Bright Moments. Uh, she had a AI series um, like like last month, and mm-hmm. it was like a bunch of portraits of you know like people in Japan, and and it was like was it Emi Kusano? One, I think so. Yeah, yeah. And, and it was like one of the coolest. Like I bought one of those like the moment I saw it, I like bought it, and then I looked Neural at the fad, whole series. I think. Yeah, yeah, Neural Fad, Neural yeah, Fad, and super the, cool. And I, I was out there it. in Tokyo, and that was like the talk of, oh, the, cool. of the of it. Yeah, yeah, and so I just like I was like, this is amazing, and then like life in uh, West America is that what it's called? Well, life in. Yeah, I know which one you're talking about. It's uh, Rupe Reynisto, Life yeah, in yeah, West there America. Go. There Life it is. Life in West America, yeah. <laughs> Life in West America is probably one of my favorite like series in Web3, just period. I, th- I think it just like creates such vivid, emotional compositions. Um, and like 
every time I look at it, I don't think like that is worth any less because it's an AI generated piece of art, right? It still takes a very good visionary to curate a collection in a series. And I mean, like the tools are there, but still the artist has to create the outputs and curate them and mint them. And so, and so, yeah, I'm bullish on AI art. Great. No, likewise, likewise. Let's see. Bullish or bearish PFP projects? Very bearish. I think the best PFP in my mind is punks and it's not even comparable. There's really nothing else I have to say about that. I think, you know, it's always going to be, is this going to flip punks? Is this going to be the next punks? Is this going to be better than punks? Is this going to be more historically relevant than punks? And to this point, uh, I mean, the conversation has been, it's not, right? And like most of last year and the year before was driven entirely by this euphoria behind what is the next PFP that we're buying, right? And even then, after like like a million different projects have dropped, like, you know, it still comes down to punks being basically at the top of the market cap and, and top of the floors. And I think that speaks for itself, right? I mean, there's just a lot of history behind it that I don't need to talk about. Um, so yeah, I'm pretty bearish except for punks, which I'm very bullish on. Uh, I hear you. I hear you. Final final question for bullish or bearish. Bullish or bearish on meme coins? Pretty bearish. Very similar to what I talked about when I talk about like illustrating for memes and, and curating memes. I think memes come and go. So bullish if you can catch the meme coin like in, in its infancy and have the awareness that it's going to be a big enough meme that's going to like pump your bags pretty high. Very rarely anyone ever has that amount of intuition and it's almost just luck. So, well, Grant, such a pleasure chatting with you, man. Oh, you know, best of luck on, on the exams and all of the next steps and uh, look forward to catching up with you next time you're in the city. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me, man. Um, I, I will definitely try to come down to uh, New York City at some point. Well, we'll be pulling for those East Coast art, art towns and art cities for the, uh, for the residency. Um, awesome, man. Thanks again. And uh, keep, keep, up, keep up the great work. Love that conversation. I think there's a lot of valuable insights to take away from it, uh, from his thoughts on building a collector base to the power of memes in the NFT space to managing your time and staying grounded while trying to achieve big things uh, in multiple fields concurrently, especially in this wild world of Web3. I think it's super impressive what Grant has accomplished, and I'm excited to see what's next for him. If you enjoyed this conversation, would love for you to dive a little deeper into what we're building at NFT Now uh, with the Now Network, uh, the foundation for all of our efforts to build the future of tokenized media. You can learn more about the Now Pass, which is the access pass to the Now Network, at nowpass.xyz. And you can jump in our Discord to get in touch with the community at discord.gg slash NFT now. Hope to see you there. And we will see you next time on the NFT Now podcast.